Now our Bible reading this morning comes from Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 21 and verses 12 through to 27, and Carol is going to read that for us today. Matthew 21 verses 12 to 27, and that's on page 1141 in the Bible. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people, buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, The scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. The leading priests and the teachers of the religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, Praise God for the son of David. But the leaders were indignant. They asked Jesus, Do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied. Haven't you ever read the scriptures? For they say, You have taught children and infants to give you praise. Then he returned to Bethany, where he stayed overnight. In the morning, as Jesus was returning to Jerusalem, he was hungry and he noticed a fig tree beside the road. He went over to see if there were any figs, but they were only leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again, and immediately the fig tree withered up. The disciples were amazed when they saw this and asked, How did the fig tree wither so quickly? Then Jesus told them, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can even say to this mountain, May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. You can pray for anything and if you have faith, you will receive it. When Jesus returned to the temple and began teaching, the leading priests and elders came up to him. They demanded, By what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right? I'll tell you by what authority I do these things if you answer one question, Jesus replied. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven, or was it merely human? They talked it over among themselves. If we say it was from heaven, he will ask us why we didn't believe John. But if it was say it was merely human, we'd be mobbed because the people believed John was a prophet. So they finally replied, we don't know. And Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. Amen. Now, if you do have your Bible with you this morning or you're near a church Bible, then please do turn back to Matthew Uh, chapter 21, uh, as we think about this passage this morning. Now this morning we are starting this series that will take us uh, through the spring, God willing, towards Easter, and we are going to be looking at Matthew's Gospel. Now this isn't a new series, Uh, we have been in Matthew's Gospel on and off uh, for a couple of years now, and you might remember that from January... Uh, last year up until Palm Sunday uh, that we were in Matthew's gospel and we finished neatly with the triumphal entry at the beginning of Matthew 21 in time for Palm Sunday. 
But the fact is that between the triumphal entry of Jesus and the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, which happens in Matthew 27 and 28, we have some very significant moments in the life of Jesus, a very significant teaching, which reveal further to us all that Jesus is and all that he has come to do. And so we're going to continue from the triumphal entry. We're going to try and make our way through a few chapters at least before we get to Easter. Now, if you wanted a word on which to hang your hat on which today's passage is all about, then that word would be authority. It would be authority. Because in the latter part of the passage that we read here in Matthew 21, the leading priests and the elders asked Jesus the question, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right? So the authorities, I want you to notice, are asking Jesus what authority he has. So this passage today really is all about authority. Now I want you also to notice that today's passage in many ways is quite explosive. You notice that? If we think that Jesus is gentle Jesus, meek and mild, then that certainly does not fit in with the narrative here. I think there is a kind of um, feeling in society, you know, Jesus is a bit of a wet blanket. Is that not the case? You know, it doesn't, doesn't hurt a fly, doesn't do anything like that. That doesn't fit in with what happens here, does it? Does it? Because after Jesus is ridden into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey, which we thought about way back last year on Palm Sunday, a significant act which was expected of any coming Messiah and which is recognized by the crowds as such, after he has done this, Jesus then goes to the temple and begins to drive out people who are buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He then knocks over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those who are selling doves. This is not gentle Jesus, meek and mild. And then he declares, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Now, there's lots that's interesting here. The first thing, if you know this story, is something I don't think I've noticed before. And that's the fact that Jesus, when he's driving people out, who does he drive out of the temple? He drives out both the buyers and the sellers in the temple. So there were animals that were for sale for, for sacrifice. Now, previously, I think I only thought it was the sellers. The sellers that were, you know, they were the ones that were corrupt. They were selling, you know, things at a high price because of the, the exchange of money in the temple. But the buyers are driven out too. Why the buyers too? Well, what we need to see is Jesus turning over the tables. Jesus driving people out isn't just Jesus criticizing the economic exploitation, which there clearly was. There were those who were coming to the temple who were probably quite poor, who were being ripped off. That was happening. There were high prices. 
But Jesus isn't just against that. Of course he's against that, but it's not just that. Jesus is saying, this whole thing is wrong. What is happening here in the temple is wrong. The whole system is wrong. That's the point here. You see, if Jesus had just wanted to cleanse the temple, he might have gone in and and symbolically sprinkled some water around. But the fact that Jesus goes in as driving people out, overturning tables, suggests that Jesus is not simply seeking to renew the temple's holiness, but something much bigger is afoot. You see, in saying, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Jesus is quoting two texts from the Old Testament. Isaiah 56, 7, and Jeremiah 7, 11. In Isaiah 56, God promises to accept foreigners as members of his people, declaring that his temple will welcome all peoples. Indeed, if you look at 1 Kings chapter 8, you will know that the purpose of the temple has actually been universal from the start. However, by Jesus' day, a partition with warning signs segregating Gentiles from the Israelite section of the outer court has has happened, probably for purity reasons. Jeremiah 7 promised judgment on God's people who treated his temple as a safe haven for robbers. And Jeremiah warns his contemporaries that the presence of the temple will not stay God's wrath against them. So Jesus is quoting these two scriptures. And what's Jesus saying? Well, he's pointing out that the temple and the temple system is broken. It's completely broken. It's broken beyond repair. You ever watch the repair shop? My mom and dad loved it. If they're watching, they will have me. Um, They love the repair shop. You know, when someone brings something that's really precious to them and it looks broken beyond repair, and then someone who's really clever, man, I've not watched it, so I don't really know what happens, but I'm sure they take it away and they do all kinds of things to it and it comes back and it looks all new and shiny. And the person's usually quite moved because it's quite a sentimental item. That can't happen in the temple. It's beyond repair. It's completely broken. Something different is needed. Now, of course, if you know your Bible, you will know that Jesus said he would destroy the temple and in three days restore it again, rebuild it again. Of course, is Jesus talking about bricks and mortar? Is he talking about these amazing structure with the amazing stone in it? Of course not. What's Jesus speaking about? He's speaking about his death and his resurrection. Because who is the true temple? Jesus is the true temple. Because what happens in a temple? Well, the Israelites were coming in. They were making sacrifices so that they might come into the presence of God. That's what a temple is. But now Jesus has come. And Jesus is saying, this is not fit for purpose. It's broken. It no longer works. It's become completely corrupt. But here I am. And I am the true temple. And if you want to come to God, 
you come through me. Because I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is the true way. And it's through him that people can truly come into the presence of God. And so we see Jesus overturning the tables, driving people out, a symbol of everything that's gone wrong in the temple. And then we see him healing the blind and the lame. And as he does so, the children are singing praise to God and the leading priests and teachers of the law are indignant because Jesus is challenging their authority. Now, what we need to notice here is we've been in the temple and then there's a bit of a change of scene. We go out to Bethany and then we make our way back to the temple. So what happens on the way to Bethany and in fact the next morning as Jesus is returning to the temple? Well, we're told that the next morning when Jesus is returning to Jerusalem, on the way he is hungry and he sees this fig tree with only leaves on it, no fruit. And he curses it, and immediately it withers. Now, there's lots that we could say about this. We might think this is a really weird story. But what we need to think about is how this passage relates to what happens in the temple before this happens and what happens afterwards. It's, it's no coincidence that Jesus is in the temple and then he returns to the temple later. And then there's this story in the middle. Now, you've got to ask yourself the question when you're reading your Bible, why is a strange story about a fig tree in the middle? But what we need to see is this withering of the fig tree is like an acted parable for the disciples. It's a prophetic act of judgment. You see, what is this tree? It's a fruitless tree, a tree that doesn't bear fruit. And, of course, it symbolizes the current temple, the religious leaders who were fruitless and who were corrupt. Judgment was coming upon them because they didn't accept Jesus. And of course, this story and what happens here with the fig tree is again a testament to Jesus' authority. Because as we've seen with the the way that Jesus walks on water, how he calms the storm, Jesus has authority over the elements. And if the disciples have faith, Even they can move mountains. Now, that, of course, is difficult for us to understand, isn't it? Moving mountains was a Jewish metaphor for accomplishing what was difficult or virtually impossible. And what Jesus is saying to the disciples is they could do whatever God called them to do, like the prophets of old. Now, faith, of course, implies obedience to the will of God, not simply acting on our own. And of course, Jesus himself is the greatest example of this because he faces in death obedience to his Father and trusting that God has power over death itself. So I want you to see in this little story of the the fig tree, we see that this is like a, a parable, a picture of what's happening in the temple. But it also shows again Jesus authority. Now finally this morning we return back to Jerusalem, back to the temple, and we see that Jesus begins teaching. And it's here that the whole idea of authority becomes even more explicit. Because the teachers of the law asked Jesus, 
By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the right? Now what we want you to see is that what he has done in the past two days in particular, Jesus has been laying a challenge to the authorities. A challenge. A challenge that is bound to come to a head. Remember, Jesus has just come into Jerusalem riding on the colt of a donkey. The people recognized that that was something that the Messiah would do. So Jesus is doing a very explicit act. He's then gone into the temple, turned over all these tables. People are going to notice that, aren't they? It's not as if he did it in secret. They're going to notice it. He's then out with his disciples. The disciples are there, fig trees withered. The disciples are going to notice. And here's Jesus back in the temple, teaching, teaching in public. Jesus has been laying a challenge to the authorities, a challenge that is bound to come to a head. And what I want you to see is this is truly the countdown to the cross. It's truly the countdown to the cross. Now, as these religious authorities ask their question and ask, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the right? Jesus answers their question by asking a question. Jesus commonly did that. And he gets the authorities in a complete pickle, doesn't he? Because Jesus says to them, and he asks them the question, did John's authority to baptize, John the Baptist, did his authority come from heaven, or was it merely human? And you see the quandary that this leaves the the religious leaders in. If they say that John's authority is from heaven, Jesus will say, well, why didn't you believe in him? But if they say that John's authority was merely human, then the people are going to mob them because the people believe that John the Baptist is a prophet. And so these religious leaders, they, they, they don't know. They're between these two, two stools. And so they're forced to say, we don't know. And Jesus therefore refuses to tell them by what authority he is doing what he is doing. Now this, incidentally, isn't Jesus being grumpy? This isn't Jesus just being, I'm not going to tell you then. You see, the reality is it ought to be obvious by whose authority Jesus is doing these things. He heals the blind. He heals the lame. He's ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey. He's teaching with authority. These are all signs of the kingdom. Surely it's obvious to the authorities, if their eyes were open, that Jesus has come from God. That's what Jesus is saying. He's refusing to answer. Look, look at the signs. Look at what I've been doing. I've not hidden away all this time. Do you not see that I am the Son of God? I am the Messiah? You see, all throughout his gospel, Matthew has consistently been showing us who Jesus is through his words and his actions. So that when we ask ourselves the question, by what authority are you doing these things? The only answer that we can give is by God's authority. That's how Jesus is doing these things. Because this is God breaking into a broken system, a broken temple, a corrupt people, a broken and a dark world, and he's shining his light. 
and he's making everything new. You see, the old is going and is almost gone and the new has come. That's what this is all about. Now, we've covered a lot of ground this morning looking at these three wee scenes, but how does this passage apply to us? Well, firstly, we need to realize that to have a relationship with God, we cannot rely on institutions to save us or human authority. Coming to church does not save you. In the same way that going to the temple did not save anyone back in the day. Only Jesus can truly save. Only Jesus can bring us life and can bring us hope. We can't trust in ourselves. Now secondly, we might be surprised that we see Jesus overturning tables, driving people out of the temple. But Jesus stands against corruption and injustice and is unafraid to stand up against it. And similarly, if we have put our faith and trust in Jesus, then we are called as his sons, as God's sons and daughters, to similarly be unafraid to stand against corruption and injustice in society and especially within the church. We cannot just let it lie. It would have been easy for Jesus just to you know, turn a blind eye. So often we do in our lives, don't we? When something is wrong, we know it's wrong. But it's easy just to say, no, I'm not going to do anything. I just want comfortable life. We're called to stand up against corruption and injustice. Thirdly, Jesus shows the disciples what can be done with faith. That even mountains can be moved. Now this isn't Jesus calling for us to do things that are spectacular. Simply for the the spectacle. I'm not expecting that you're going to go out of this place today. You're going to look up at Law Hill and say, you know, let's move Law Hill to Sea Mill. That would be fine, wouldn't it? You know, Sea Mill needs a bit more of a mountain. Let's have, you know, a hill down. That's not what Jesus is saying. But what Jesus is calling us to is radical obedience to God. Because when we believe and trust in Him, He can use us in amazing and significant ways for His glory. And if you read the book of Acts, you know this is true for the disciples, and it can also be true for us too. So we see today Jesus overturning the tables in the temple, cursing fig trees that then wither, then teaching in the temple with authority. These are all about Jesus' authority. And the question for each one of us here today is, do we believe in his authority? Or do we just give lip service to to it? Do we make Jesus Lord of our lives? Or are we like the religious authorities who who try to do away with him? You see, Jesus, as well as challenging the religious authorities, is also challenging us. And he's asking us the question, do you recognize me? Do you recognize my authority? And are you willing to submit to my authority? Because the reality is, if we truly want to know life, 
If we truly want to have a relationship with God, we can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it out of just duty. We can only have a relationship with God by bowing the knee before Him, confessing Him as our Savior and our Lord. It's only through Jesus and submitting to Him that we can know fullness of life and hope. Do you know that fullness of life today? Are you willing to submit to Jesus? Because that is the way to life and life in all its fullness. Shall we just pray together? Let's pray. Lord God, there is so much in your word today and in many ways we feel as though we've only just scratched the surface. But we thank you for the authority that Jesus shows that by overthrowing the tables in the temple driving out the buyers and the sellers it was showing that the the old way the temple was corrupt beyond measure and that he is the true temple he's the way in which we can have a relationship with you Lord God We thank you also for the authority Jesus shows in the withering of the fig tree and then in his teaching and in his miracles. Father, these are all signs of who Jesus is. That he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior that we need. And Father, as well as recognizing Jesus as our Savior this morning, help us also to be willing to bow the knee And to confess Jesus as our Lord, as Lord of our life. Heavenly Father, we recognize that so often in our life we want to put ourselves first. We think only about our own desires. Because that's the the lie that the devil propagates. That that's the only way that we should be living our lives. And that will give fulfillment in our lives. And yet, Lord God, we recognize when we live that way that there is that emptiness in sight. We don't find fulfillment. But Father, in an amazing way, when we bow the knee before Jesus, when we ask Jesus to take hold of the steering wheel of our life, so to speak, it's then that we know fullness of life. It's then that we know hope beyond measure. It's then that we know fulfillment. It's then that we know forgiveness. It's then that we know peace. Heavenly Father, give us the courage to bow the knee and to give Jesus the honor, the worship that he alone is due this morning. So, Heavenly Father, We ask that you would help us to understand your word today. That you would bring home to our hearts anything that is spoken to us particularly. And that you might fill us with your Holy Spirit. So Father, bless us now. Watch over us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.